God hates you. You won't know how the Bible says God loves you. Well, he was just kidding. You thought that was true. He came to me in a dream last night. Jesus, is that true? He said to me softly, Ruthann, you are my favorite. You and me, Westboro Baptist Church, are perfect, and everyone else is a pubic hair. You're a heathen, you're a stink, you're a fornicator, you're a homo, I'm a saint, you'll be Satan's dinner. These are all the reasons why God hates you. I'll be up in heaven looking down at you. Motherfucker. The rise of Christian fascism in this country is terrifying. I mean, the, the similarities between Weimar Germany, you know, uh, and today are stark. I mean, are, 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 are very relevant. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Great America Show. We're going to be talking uh, with to CJ Worlman a little bit later, talking a little income inequality and some scary economic numbers and all that fun stuff. Uh, but first, how's it going, Graham? Pretty good, buddy. How yeah. you been after a little hiatus? I don't know. It was a little, uh, I missed the show a bit. Did you? Yeah. Of course, uh, the listeners never even noticed uh, a dip in the step. The no. show came out as uh, as scheduled. The, uh, actually, the one thing that did happen is it didn't get put on the website till yesterday. Yeah, right. And my email's been down, so that's been a bit weird. No, yeah, sorry, a bit odd. That was in the process of us getting switched over to that new server, and then we're going to a new host soon, and uh, all that fun stuff. It's been pretty, pretty exciting things on the go. Big thanks to our our buddy, our our guy, Wayne uh, Darnell. Yeah, thanks, Wayne. Big help. We're gonna link to Wayne's shit in the uh, show notes. So, what'd you do with your time off? Uh, pretty much relaxed a bit, you know. Worked. Girlfriend was out. Worked. Visited with her. That was good. Oh, jumping right into it, are Seems to be. He said he wanted to start off with a bang. All right, well, I have the profound UFO quote of the week here, and this is picked especially for CJ Werleman since he's in politics. Into Not he's in politics, but he's into politics a little bit. Guns, gods, and gays, and all that stuff. Hmm. I feel that the Air Force has not been giving out all the available information on unidentified flying objects. You cannot disregard so many unimpeachable sources. That's from John W. McCormick, Speaker of the House of Representatives of the United States, January 1965. Well done, sir. I got another one, too. It's a short one. A twofer? A twofer. Same year. I certainly believe in aliens in space and that they are indeed visiting our planet. They might not, they may not look like us, but I have a very strong feeling that they have advanced beyond our mental capabilities. That's Senator Barry Goldwater, 1965, retired Air Force Brigadier General and pilot with many decades of flying experience. Hmm. Not just your normal crackpot senator. Yeah. That was back when senators are senators. 
Not just dudes who can raise money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was gonna make a comment, but I won't bother. Come on, spit it out. I don't want to go spit it out. Fucking spit it out. No, apparently they spend like eighty percent of their time oh, yeah. fundraising. Yeah, fucking crazy. Yep, cost a lot of money. Imagine how miserable that would be. Yeah, you only got two years to make fucking five million bucks or ten million bucks or whatever it takes for your next campaign. Probably more than that. We spend than like that. we spend like two minutes, a minute raising money on Great American. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of, we're not making any money. <laughs> well, we're not trying to. No, we're just trying to cover our expenses. But it doesn't seem to be working out. No, the money bomb's becoming an expense. <laughs> if it decided... wasn't for PayPal taking the fucking... No, it's not that. We're, even if it was for PayPal, we'd still not even be making as much as we give away in, in the 50-50 money bomb. So. Yeah, that's true. We've decided to give away $100 minimum. We just didn't want to be giving away like 40 or 50 bucks, right? We thought we'll make it 100 Hoping that that would catapult us to 200 so we'd actually make it a 50 50 draw but that hasn't been happening no so we gotta decide what we're gonna do <laughs> next month we might have to roll it over to 200 so yeah that we might just start waiting to 200 and doing it as a uh, hundred bucks each that way we could yeah you know, at least we're not just giving money away yeah which we don't mind doing no but i mean we it is costing us more and more here in Grand America and. We do it for free. We're not going to sell our content. At least that's not the plan. No, We're not going like, to add shit. extra content for sale. No ads. So it's kind of value for value. Donate. And we give some of that back to a lucky listener. And we want to keep this money bomb philosophy that Greg Carlwood at, at the Higher Side Chat started, right? It's a concept for podcasts, possibly. Like, you donate to the show because you like the show. And then... Every month or whatever the podcaster decides at a dollar value or whatever, give back uh, 50% of that or, or some percentage to one or two people or whatever, however, yeah. set it up. Yeah, exactly. And our, our main guys are our subscribers right now. We've got uh, 13 or 14 subscribers. Yeah, we got a new one too, so yeah, thank we, you very we much. we got a new one, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, I suppose yeah, if any of our subscribers have any input on, on what might be a better way to run it, you guys are pretty much running the show so if you take the time to write us an email if you've got an idea and yeah man we're totally any open feedback yeah, on totally what you think about feedback. raising yeah. the the output limit to 200 what do you think of that because for the most part uh it's our our subscribers that are are donating the bulk of the, the thing which we appreciate yeah and then we get the odd donation to kind of put it over the top yeah which we appreciate yeah you can check out all the details at america.ca slash money bomb uh, I think we did get up to, I think we got up to like 115 or 120 bucks minus PayPal donations or PayPal things. But either way, we're over a hundred bucks. So with me just getting back from holidays, we haven't had time to do the draw yet. We'll do that and we'll have a winner, I suppose, by next week. We will uh, look it up. Right on, buddy. Do you want to hear some spam? Would you like to hear some feedback or some synchronicity? Um, my email's kind of just uh, hasn't really been working, like I mentioned. So I now, now all of a sudden, I'm scrambling. I had it open, but uh, it's not. Uh... You don't say ham, you say spam. Spam. You say spam. 
I love the 70s disco beat in the background of that. So does that uh, include synchronicity then? That's fine. We'll put it at the end. Are you going to do it? or? Yeah, so uh, John Remaker <laughs> sent the note. He says, uh, challenge accepted. I don't know if you remember what challenge that you uh, you said there. Oh, is that but the intercontinental psilocybus? Yeah, I think so, yeah. He said it was a real treat hearing his email right on the show. He had a rough couple of days with his 27th birthday on the 20th of August, happening four days after his father passed. Sorry to hear about your dad, buddy. Yeah, that's that's terrible news. Uh, hearts go out. Sorry and to hear that. He said the reason his email was, was weird is because he was drunk when he wrote it. In regards to tripping with the watchers, the objects on the floor look different in the fog. The first object was a vinyl toy, the Monkey King. As I was coming out of it, all I could say was no to any object in my living room as I knocked over a standing ashtray. <clears throat> Anyways, he says uh, he might come up here and take you up on your offer there. Um, and he says thanks a lot for his awesome birthday gift. Hearing his email, he really appreciated it with the utmost sincerity. And he says, John Remaker. Say it with me, Graham Remaker. So I guess I must have fucked it up the first time. What did you say, Remaker? I, I Remaker? <laughs> I, don't, I honestly don't remember what I said. You're a name butcher pretty bad i don't know man i think you're just it's just the way you operate it's like you got this verbatim style when you're going and it's just like is that what you think yeah you're on auto i don't agree with you thank you very much john remaker and we are sorry to hear about your dad yeah um i got some i got some feedback from uh harold in venice florida he says uh hey guys in the great white north just finished the show on shamanish what a great show I've loved every show you've done on spirit and healing. I had wrote you guys about the five Dharma show. That was a fantastic show. Bought the book. This last one was as good. Thanks for all you do. And then he says, but now the Bigfoot show. <laughs> I won't read this one verbatim, but yeah, he didn't really like the, the Bigfoot show when uh, Brian Brown. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess uh, he, I think he kind of uh, resonates with my take on not having to shoot the Bigfoot, you know? Not having to sit there in a smoking jacket, drinking a, a beer, looking at your Bigfoot head mounted on the wall. Fuck, I wish I had a Bigfoot head mounted oh, on the wall. Oh, come on, buddy. You wouldn't shoot it. Gotta disagree. Anyways, he says... Thanks for uh, the feedback, but I, I still say take the shot. <clears throat> no, don't take it. We don't need to kill it to preserve it. We just need to kill it prove it exists. No, we don't. Yes, we do. No, we don't. Why not? It's just a matter of time. One. Matter of time. Just one. Matter of time. Just one. It's not just one. As soon as... Are you kidding me? It's not going to be one? As soon as you shoot one, everybody's going to go out and try and hunt them. No, we'll protect it. I don't believe it. So he says, guys, I really love your show. I feel like if I really love a show, I should write to tell you like I did. And the same if I don't like one. I will always listen because you two have something the other podcasts don't. You talk with your guests. You don't interview them. I think they feel very comfortable with you guys. And they tell you things that they don't tell other podcasters. Keep up the good work. And he likes uh, spam. He really nice. likes spam. Like the real spam. Really? Yeah. Like click? Have you ever had real spam? I wonder spam? if he prefers spam or click. That's, clicks like the competition. Really? But ClickGram doesn't have the same ring to it. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Maybe if your name was Rick, be Click Rick. 
Just stay away from this frowning pole. I can't be healthy. <laughs> no, it's probably not good for you. But he's, is he in the UK? Oh, he's Venice, Florida. Oh. Yeah. Not Ooh, Venice, yeah, California. spam in the hot sun, too. Yeah. Is it well, you keep, no, Yeah, it's pre-cooked and you keep I'm it in the fridge. I'm going to get some I fucking think. spam in here for the All next right? show. You should. Yeah, we're going to eat some spam we should. live on the next intro. Okay, buddy. Challenge accepted. Let's do it. Okay, so I've got... Uh, do you want a little synchronicity? You might have read this already, but... Fire it up. This is a comment, actually, on our, uh, on our website from Dave Truman. He says, okay, how does this score on the grand scale of synchronicity? This afternoon, I was listening to the mainstream radio. Well, what's, what's that? <laughs> on the AM radio. <laughs> he says, Douglas Adams' work came up during the program. I switched off the radio to go walk to the supermarket about a mile away from where I live. Do you know who Douglas Adams is, Darren? No. Really? Really. He's the guy that wrote the... Uh, Hitchhiker's really? Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, is it? Yeah. Nice. So you know that, right? I know that. You know that work? Okay, that was Douglas Adams, I think. You think? Yeah, it is. <laughs> I listened to the audiobooks. It was pretty cool. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, it was good. So he switched off the radio to go walk to the supermarket about a mile from where he lives. I started listening to a THC podcast, which was an interview with Marty Leeds. I mentioned him upstairs about an hour ago. Oh, synchronicity. <laughs> he mentioned the Egyptian goddess Mat, M-A-A-T, whom he said was connected to the number 42 in some way. I was intrigued by this because I'm writing a book on Inca geomancy, and the Incas divided their empire into 42 sesks. I probably butchered that name, too. What does it spell? C-E-S-Q-U-E-S. Sescus. <laughs> which were some sort of ley lines that all met in the Rempel. Oh, the temple. The Rempel. <laughs> Is that, did he write Rempel? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, hey, I don't. I don't <laughs> you, pre, just, you just did well, it. Well, <laughs> I don't pre read them all. I don't have time to pre read everything. No, so. you have time to correct. <laughs> <laughs> they all met in the Temple of the Sun in Cusco. Anyway, I get home and I decide to check the connection between Matt and the number 42. <laughs> it turns out that they also divided Egypt into 42 districts. With my Egypt. mind, Egypt. With my mind slightly blown, I decide to listen to your excellent interview with Randall Carlson. I nearly fell out of my chair when you asked the question about 42. He says he thinks it scores 42. Keep up the great work. 42. Because you know Douglas Adams is like 42, right? That's the question. Yeah, of yeah, that's the answer to the universe. And everything. And everything. <laughs> that's a pretty good one. Actually, when I read it again now, it seems better than when I first read it. It does seem pretty good. The time frame's all pretty tight. Yeah. He's not going to get a 42. I'm not going to be so rude as to give him a 4.2, though. Oh. <laughs> good on you. I'll give him... 7.42. Oh, that's oh, that's a good one. Alrighty, well, thanks for the uh, thanks for the synchronicity. Get the extra 0.42 because the synchronicity included the Grammarica show. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. With Ramel Carlson, yet. So from now on, anytime your synchronicity includes the Grammarica show, you get an extra 0.42. Compliments of 
Deron. And Graham. <laughs> Thanks, Dave Truman. That was a good, good comment. That, that, uh, that episode's still stirring up quite a ruckus with Randall Carlson, eh? It was awesome. Yeah, yeah, we did. We just got some more YouTube, YouTube comment feedback on it the oh, other day. We? Ever since the very first was that dude who just that fucking hated us, and yeah. then there's been like 15 comments. Of positive, really? So. Really? That's good. Just when you get the first one, it's kind of really yeah. like if you get 13 good ones and a bad one, just get a bad one and then nothing for a week. Well, because then you worry about like, will other people even you know comment if it's. Welcome. So, um, so speaking um, of that, I w- we're hoping to meet Randall in person at the Paradigm Symposium. He might, he might end up being there. That's only a few weeks away now. We should talk about that because holy shit, it's coming up quick. It's October 2nd to 5th, the Paradigm Symposium 2014. Fuck yeah, hooking up with RPJ again. Looking uh, forward to that. <clears throat> yeah, it's um, sponsored by Intrepid Magazine and Scotty Roberts and John Ward putting it on. Yeah, Micah Hanks will be there. Yeah. Randall Carson, Graham Hancock. Richard Dolan. Richard Dolan. David Weatherly. Yeah. The list goes on. Robert Schock. Yeah. Eric Von Daniken. Yeah, Eric. No, Eric. I don't think Robert Schock's there this year. I thought he was. I don't think so. Agree to disagree. John Anthony West is there. Oh, yeah. That's another good one. So that'll be a fun yeah. time. Of course, Graham Eric will be there as well. RPJ will be there. And, uh, yeah, it should be uh, a riot. I know the last one was fun. Graham went to the last two. Yeah, I skipped the last one having my daughter Sandra so but this year no kids on the go uh, I think we're all booked up yeah. got our tickets we're legit barring some sort of uh, cosmic catastrophe we'll be there yeah or some sort of altercation that revokes inter-border travel oh yeah that won't happen I don't know you drive pretty fast we're not driving to the border buddy Fucking God. <laughs> Never again. So uh, that, about, uh, that about does it, eh? Yeah, that should wrap it up. Big thanks to... Uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We hope you enjoy the uh, the chat with CJ Whirleman. Uh, yeah, it's pretty fascinating yeah, stuff. Yeah, we heard him on Rogan and, and grabbed him after that. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. It's kind of out of our normal swing. We don't really have a normal swing, but if we did, it'd be <laughs> a little out of it. Exactly. All right, guys. I think uh, enjoy the interview and uh, see you on the other side. Maybe. Maybe not.
Okay, guys, tonight here in Gramerica, we're going to be talking with C.J. Wellerman. Um, Wellerman, maybe? Yeah, Wellerman. Wellerman. There we go. That sounds better. Um, yeah, he's the author of, of a couple controversial books, so I'm looking forward to this. But first, uh, the great Graham Dunlop. How's it going tonight, buddy? Hey, buddy. I'm doing okay. It feels like it's been a while after all these technical difficulties, so we're, it feels like uh, we're back in the saddle here and ready to go. And Couldn't be... Uh, more excited to have CJ Werleman on. We heard him on uh, Joe Rogan Experience. It was quite a fascinating chat. So kind of, uh, we don't really touch on on politics and religion a lot here on the show, but he's uh, he's one of today's new atheists kind of talking about the, uh, you know, the r- religious right and, and politics and the corporatism of politics. And uh, he's he's written a couple books, recently released, Crucifying America, The Unholy Alliance Between the Christian Right and Wall Street. He's a feature columnist for Alternate and Salong. He's a regular guest uh, on the Sirius Network, and he's uh, he's actually quite hilarious. He's a bit of a comedian too, and he's played some pretty uh, professional sports uh, back in Australia. He's a super good cricket player, so uh, he's a fascinating guy. Welcome to the show, CJ. Uh, man, thanks for having me on. And uh, I need to correct you on one thing: I, I didn't represent Australia in cricket. My friends would actually would, would send over a squad to have me murdered if you. If they hear you say that, I play cricket for Indonesia. Uh, Australia is a number. <laughs> yeah, there's a big difference. Australia is like the number one uh, cricket nation in the world, and Indonesia is the number eighty-seven. So, <laughs> so, but I'll take the rap anyway. Hey, that's funny. I got a story like that too because I was playing uh, in the World Ball Hockey Championships for Team UK. So it's it's kind of similar, you know. I could have never cracked the Canadian team. Yeah, that's what you're going to do. If you can't make your national team, you move to a country that's shit at it. That's you right. become good. <laughs> so I should, I should move to the States and play hockey. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So uh, one of the one thing I suppose I wish I should ask you right off the bat is um, with with the books you've come out with, would, how would you rate the uh, the death threats or the hate mail? Um, do you get more from the from the religious side or more from like the patriots? Uh yeah, I initially, um, when I, I launched my first book, God Hates You, Hate Him Back, um, you know, I was more going after, uh, you know, fundamentalist Christian belief in uh, in the U.S. and really attacking, I guess, the central tenet of uh, the Christian faith, which is obviously the Bible. That God Hates You, Hate Him Back, is, you know, is actually a a chapter by chapter explanation of uh, of the Bible, a summary of the Bible, um, but. My goal was always to branch out into uh, to U.S. politics, and particularly where um, and you know Christianity or religion and politics merge in the U.S. Um, I would say now that most of my my hate mail uh, stems from uh, the hardcore right. I think that if you did an IP search on uh, most of the emails that I get, it's from Texas, Alabama, Florida, <laughs> Georgia, uh, most of the Confederate states. So. <laughs> the Bible Belt. But, uh, yeah, and uh, the Christopher Hitchens, you know, uh, he wrote God, you know, um, uh, God is not great. You know, great um, you know, geopolitical uh, commentator who, who passed away in in 2012. He uh, he received a lot of uh, hate mail. I certainly he would have received uh, ten times or a hundred times the level of hate mail that I've received. And he always said that um, the death threat that you receive is the one you don't need to worry about. <laughs> Which is, yeah, so yeah, it's, it's water off a duck's back. Yeah, you don't really seem to let it bother you at all. Eh? You just kind of go out there. You you kind of seem to, um, 
even the way you title your books and stuff, you're kind of out there to, to, to kind of get people's hackles up a little bit, maybe. Yeah. Somebody said it's the Ann Coulter uh, model, um, which is, you know, the only time I ever wanted to be compared to her. But, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, in, in the political discourse in this country, it's become so um, benign and so predictable. And, and so I guess, and also so loud on all sides that, that to to enter into a serious debate or to kickstart a serious debate, often you need to uh, use inflamed rhetoric or hyperpartisan rhetoric to be heard above the crowd, and and only then can a you know a serious debate take place. Unfortunately, when uh, when those like Ann Calder use hyperinflamed uh, rhetoric, you know it's not backed up with any fact-based argument uh, behind it. Hmm. We we talk a little bit about about politics here, but it's kind of more. Uh on the conspiratorial angle, you know, like talking about big banks and the central, you know, the money system or, or, you know, some sort of nine eleven type stuff. But when you talk about, um, the, you know, the difference between the corporatism right now and, and what could be uh, eventually socialism or something like that. I mean, don't you think that, that there's a, a bigger problem like that, that, that the difference between all these political systems we talk about is kind of just a distraction, like that there's a bigger problem kind of going on with the central banking system and the and our our debt based econo- econo- economic system. Yeah, I mean, okay. Well, I, I think the biggest problem. Um, I mean, social issues are used as a distraction. That's you know that's how the masses are distracted from uh, you know um, from corporations and so forth, hijacking the political system. Uh, and emptying the treasuries, you know, the funding of these foreign wars and so forth. I mean, uh, you know, we've added, you know, $8 trillion to the national debt in this country since, you know, George Bush came into uh, into office. And most of that was on the back of unpaid uh, unpaid wars and also on the back of tax cuts um, um, for the rich. Now, the, the, the biggest problem that, that this country faces is it is as close to unfettered capitalism uh, that you'll find amongst OECD countries. Um, the influence that the rich and the corporations have on political discourse with their lob- lobbyists and the disproportionate influence they have over political policy making, uh, whether that's the tax code um, uh, or legislation in general, uh, is unlike anywhere that's ever seen. And you, in the UK and Australia, you have public financing of elections. In this country, lobbying, which is you know code word for bribery, um, is is uh, you know part and parcel of the game here. Is accepted. The Supreme Court has ruled that you know dollar you know money equals free speech. So that's enabled an that's enabled an environment here where we've seen the greatest wealth redistribution from the middle class to the rich in American history. Uh, America now is a third world country because the rich and the corporations have not only starved the federal government of the money it needs to invest in infrastructure and schools and roads and bridges and airports and so forth. Uh, but it's also transferred, put the tax burden on the middle class by, you know, by the fact that corporations now pay the lowest proportion of the federal tax, tax revenue in America's history. Huh. So, so do you think that, that it's capitalism then that's, that's the, the problem or is it, is it sort of bigger than that? Like, like for well, people that aren't too too up to speed on the political stuff, like we're we live in Canada, and and you've talked a little bit in in your uh, what I've heard you 
and on other shows and stuff talk a bit about you know australia canada some of the western european countries and stuff like that so we we kind of get it from over the border and and you know we're affected by the states but it's kind of hard for us to sort of wrap our heads around some of that stuff that goes on down there so it, it seems to me like it's not really a true obviously it's not capitalism in a way right it's it's kind of a corrupt uh system of capitalism yeah it, it's yeah it's crony capitalism what it is it's it's, uh, it's socialism for corporations in this country and capitalism for the rest of us uh, it's the corporations which get massive tax breaks, massive subsidies, corporate welfare in the form of subsidization for their employees. You know, every Walmart employee costs the average American taxpayer $1,200 per year in government welfare. So that's that's the uh, that's where the the uh, I guess the, the, the capitalism. You know, we get the capitalism because we get footed with the bill as the you know the average taxpayer. I guess the lesson I always try and make to it like Australians and Canadians for example is is most Australians for, for instance have got no idea what is really taking place in America economically right. uh, they see, yeah they see America and they go okay richest nation on the earth hey, on the planet biggest military in the world they must be doing something right, right. Um, and they don't see you know the widespread poverty they don't see the distribution of wealth and so what we have in Australia for instance and, I, and, I, and Harper obviously is a, you know, a very conservative guy. We have a, a conservative um, a by the name of Abbott, who's the Prime Minister of Australia, and he thinks that Reaganomics is a is a great idea. And he's trying to the first Australian Prime Minister to try and repeal, you know, everything Australia has accomplished in the last two hundred years. You know, um, you know, social safety nets, um, free education, you know, public education, and so forth. So. You know, um, um, and he has a big following because, you know, the liberals or conservatives in Australia think that, well, he's only emulating what's done in America. It seems to have worked for them. So let's right. try it down. So can you can you get into, delve into some of those stats a bit? Because this is stuff that you don't hear. People that watch uh, normal news or follow the mainstream media, that type of thing, uh, you don't hear these stats like uh, the subsidies for Walmart employees. Can you just drill down into that a little bit and explain it to, to people a bit better? Yeah, sure. Okay, so how it works here is, is okay, take Walmart, not just Walmart, Bank of America even. I mean, Bank of America is one of the most wealthy corporations in this country. Walmart is the biggest private company in uh, in, in America, um, the biggest employer of, uh, of personnel in this country. Now, the four Walmart heirs, you know, have a combined wealth of more than the bottom 42%, the combined wealth of the bottom 42% on this planet. Now, that wealth, when, um, they, now when they pay their employees, they on pay the their employees. No, on the U.S., on the, right? In the U.S. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah, in the U.S. So, uh, so four individuals who inherited their wealth from their family, you know, from Sam Walton when he passed away. Now, uh, Walmart pays its employees, well, at least half of its workforce, so little um, that they fall under the national poverty level line. Now, by falling under the national poverty level line, their employees have to be propped up with subsidies from the federal government in the form of uh, food stamps, in the form of uh, Medicaid, uh, in the form of uh, housing allowance, um, and and so forth. So those subsidies are paid by the taxpayer that comes from taxpayer revenue. So that costs each taxpayer in this country $1,200 of what they earn every year goes just to Walmart alone. One company huh. is we're footing the bill for this 
this, there's these individuals who have more than enough money to pay their workforce, you know, to, you know, to justifiably pay their workforce a survivable wage, but they don't because federal uh, wage laws, which are written by corporate lobbyists, haven't allowed the federal the minimum wage to remain below the poverty level. And people say, oh, well, you know, they don't have to work for Walmart or, but I mean, it, it, it becomes, there's less and less of a choice, right? I mean, when Walmart comes to town, uh, it doesn't leave a lot of uh, options for people. Yeah, so Walmart comes in and destroys the community. Um, so Walmart comes in, so, they, you know, you know, Joe Blow's sports, sporting goods store is shut down, you know, you know, Helen Keller's bookstore is, <laughs> is gone. Um, and, uh, you know, so it displaces jobs. And therefore, uh, by driving the prices down in the community and then becoming the biggest employer of people within that community, well, by being the, they've now got the biggest workforce, and therefore the people that work for them, the largest percentage of the workforce in that community, can only afford to shop at Walmart. They can't afford to shop at a small mar and uh, operation that doesn't have the, the conglomerate clout to, uh, to, you know, with the economy of scale to leverage, you know. Um, cheaper prices. Huh. So let's let's keep religion out of it for a while here, and we'll just talk about like capitalism versus sort of socialism type thing because it it kind of fascinates me because I do have you know I have family and friends and stuff that are kind of more conservatively bent, and I can't really art- articulate uh, some of these political arguments well enough, so I just kind of stay away. But for people that think that these top four guys in Walmart should you know, they can make all the money they want because somehow that money is getting funneled back into the economy through like this trickle down economics, which doesn't really, to me, it doesn't really seem to happen. Like, can you explain how you think that this trickle down economics is supposed to work and how it's not working? Yeah. Well, I mean, trickle down economics in theory is, you know, if you, if you provide tax cuts to, uh, you know, the wealthiest, and they'll invest in, you know, more human capital, which creates jobs and so forth. But oh, is it directly the, related to tax cuts? I thought it was more of just a, another word for uh, for the free market. No, no, no. Trickle down economics means specifically means tax cuts. Okay, okay, okay. Income, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and they're, they're, by putting extra money in their pockets, they're going to reinvest into. You know, reinvest capital into you know business investment, labour, and and uh, and so forth, and then you know by creating more jobs for everyone, it creates you know uh, wealth and prosperity at the bottom. Right. Um, you know, every every impartial economist on the planet um, has written extensively in the last few years how trickle down economics has been an abject failure, where it's been you know um, tried. Because the fact of the matter is, the super wealthy. Don't uh, uh, invest money in, in hiring staff because the super the super wealthy now make their money from you know inherited wealth and speculation and stocks and bonds and income you know you know asset uh, income generating vehicles of, of so forth. If you look at the um, the Koch brothers, which are I think combined are the wealthiest two individuals in the country now. Um, now. Uh, they're in the oil, you know, Coke rubber industries, which are the biggest funder of, you know, right-wing uh, politicians in this country. They're, well, they're the biggest donor, period, full stop, um, uh, in the U.S. in the U.S. political campaign uh, fundraising. Now, um, 
their, their, their total net worth, I think, is $55 billion. But 70% of that wealth has come in the last 10 years purely on uh, specula- on oil and gas speculation, on the price of commodities. And, in fact, they've almost halved their total workforce in, uh, in the last decade. So giving tax cuts doesn't stimulate an economy, and that's been proven. What does stimulate an economy is a complete opposite of what cons- conservatives prescribe. Now, if you give a tax cut, you give a tax cut to someone who's earning ten million dollars a year. They're just going to they're just going to buy more bonds than the stocks worth. Uh, give a give a tax cut to somebody at the bottom of the income uh, ladder. They're going to spend one hundred percent of that, and they're going to put that input that directly back in the economy. That's why food stamps are not only not only such a great poverty saver, but they're also such a great stimulus for the economy because somebody's poor. Every dollar you give them, they're going to spend it because they have to. They have to give food, heating, lodging, you name it. Right. So, um, so, uh, so, yeah, it's bottom up rather than top down, and so uh, that's why trickle down economics doesn't work. It, it's almost like a perfect storm of of technology and the rich getting richer. Like, is it, it's almost is it fair to say that because of technology and the ability for these people in Wall Street or in the financial district just to make money on nothing out of thin air? on every little tiny transaction that that's where all the wealthy money goes now. Like if that wasn't, if, if we weren't so advanced in technology, it wouldn't, it seems like it wouldn't be half so bad in a way. Yeah. Well, exactly. And, and that's, you know, the financial, you know, we now have, you know, a discipline at university called financial engineering. I mean, what the fuck financial engineering? <laughs> that is just, that oh, is just, that's a thing. You know, that sounds pretty fucked up. We should just yeah, stick to custodial out. engineering. Isn't that the same yeah. as like, screenwriting? Or? <laughs> <laughs> well, at least, at least screenwriting is something tangible as a product at the end of it, which benefits humanity in a way, whether it's education or, you know, or, uh, or pure entertainment. But um, financial engineering is literally, uh, you know, high, de- high de- degree mathematics turning, you know, uh, thin air into products. And as Paul Krugman has not, said, you know, repeatedly, you know, we're even, going from a even, finger- sorry, not even products, profit, right? Is what you're saying. Yeah, so yeah, you, yeah. Turn into profit. Yeah, I mean, you're, um, you know, all, you know, and that's basically what crashed the, you know, sorry, Jim, I was going to say, Paul Krugman has, has said that often that, you know, we've gone from a country that made stuff to a country that makes stuff up. Um, yeah, and and so there's, I mean, these fancy financial engineered products is basically what crashed the entire fucking universe in 2008. You know, uh, these you know, credit default swaps and uh, these, you know, these leveraged product, which would leverage it out at 70 to one on the back of retail banking investment money and retail bankers and savings and loans. Um, you know, with, you know, these, with this high speed, you combine that with this high speed trading, um, uh, you've got all of these players just making their tiny, Tips on huge sums of money, and you know, there's no trading tax on these uh, these things. So there's no social benefit, or there's no social value to all of this wealth that's been created, because the people who are creating this wealth for these financially engineered products are also the same people who are writing the tax code, and the same people who are writing legislation. So they're not paying, you know, anything. You know, it's the same people. Mitt Romney, who was the Republican nominee. Uh, in 2012, um, he's, uh, he only paid 12% of income tax. And that's because hedge fund lobby, lobbyists wrote into the tax, card, tax code 
that um, uh, income from um, dividends be treated differently to income from a job. Huh. It's it's so amazing how how people still don't don't uh, I don't know what to say. I don't I don't mean they don't get it, but. You know, people will say, hey, those people are smart. You know, they're utilizing the financial system. They're figuring out ways to make money, blah, blah, blah. But I, I totally see where you're coming from, where there's the social capital. Like there's nothing or not nothing, but there's very little going back to help society. Yeah, exactly. And that's the problem. I mean, there has to be, you know, they can't be, you know, these, that's the financial sector, which is basically the you know, number one sector in the U.S. That's what the U.S. does really now. Um, that's why there's no middle class jobs. You either work for a bank or you work, you know, at Walmart or Taco Bell. You know, there's really nothing in the middle. Um, and okay, if we're going to be an economy like that, then at least set up regulation in a way that we can, you know, the rest of us can derive, you know, some sort of social benefit from it that's translated into infrastructure that works. Hmm. So, so do you have a question, Darren? Hmm. So the socialism part, then, I mean, that scares people. It's the big S word, right? Um, yeah. And wh- where does that, does it, does it end up becoming communism? Or what do you think the difference between socialism and communism is? Like, is there a risk there that it'll go too far the other way? Well, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, also, you're, you're also asking that question because, you know, I, I prescribed socialism when I was on Joe Rogan's show. Um, am I a socialist? I don't know. I'm not sure, actually, to right. be honest on that question. Yeah, yeah. Um, because socialism, you know, where where socialism has been tried, it has been, it hasn't been implemented correctly. So <laughs> the models of socialism, the most the models of socialism we have aren't good ones. Um, it, again, it's one of those things which you know it may be great on paper, but once the implementation, once you bring in human greed and emotion and and power and that sort of thing, it it, uh, it corrupts it. I mean, you know, the difference between socialism and communism is, is merely the fact that, you know, socialism is the workers who control the means of production, whereas communism it's the state. Um, now, uh, I believe in social democracies, um, and I believe in that German, countries like Germany and Australia and, and, and Canada um, have close to as good a balance as you can get. I mean, there can always be tweaks and refinements of the system, but... But these are social democracies at work. I would say Germany is the is the model to point to at the moment. Um, I've you know they've you know they've been immune almost to the the Great Recession and they're an export dominated uh, economy. Um, I think the social and labour reforms they've put in place in that country in the last twenty or thirty years, which is as close to socialism you can get. You know, after all, you know the German Parliament. You know, uh, broad law. You know, corporations over X number of employees must have at least fifty percent of the board represented by the the workers of that company, which means workers have a say in how that the, the company. So that the producers, you know, you know, who produce the the products of that company actually have a say in the um, you know, in, in where the profits go and how profits are utilized. Yeah, exactly, and uh, and it's you know, their unemployment is is. Uh, you know, is is lower than ours, and the uh, middle class is growing. Um, whereas in this country, our you know, the real unemployment level is, you know, is double the official unemployment rate, and then you've got the middle class rapidly shrinking um, because you know we're we're only writing laws which are favoured to the, the rich and corporations. While these CEOs can 
you know, today now and what is it, 470 times the average worker. You know, it's, the disparity is, uh, is unsustainable. Hmm. And what about... It's uh, funny because, like, you look at companies like, Canadian companies like WestJet, that, that do kind of the employees get, you know, when you sign up, you get a share of the profits or however it works, I'm not sure, but, and, you know, they, they fucking grew quick and they became a pretty, because people seem to take more pride in their jobs then too, right? Exactly. And that, I mean, one of the greatest myths about, um, you know, socialism, you know, well, socialistic, socialistically run companies are, well, you know, you put the workers in place and they're on the board, they'll just give themselves more money. Well, number one, isn't that what CEOs do? I mean, you know, the CEOs are paying them, do the CEOs get these, you know, $100 million contracts, even when the stock goes down? You know, just the way that these options are backdated and so forth. Now, and also too, workers are smart enough to know that you know that you know what's in the best interest of the company is also in the best interest for them. And you know, if you make a good product and you deliver good service, then there's going to be there should be rewards for all of us. I mean, you know, what idiot doesn't know that? Um, so. Yeah, I, you know, you look at credit unions and, you know, Australia, I don't know about Canada, but credit unions in Australia have become really popular in the last 10 years. Well, that, that's socialist, that's a socialistic business hmm. uh, model of credit unions and they're, they're thriving. And not only do you get great service, but these companies are profitable and, you know, the, the level of worker satisfaction is um, extremely high. Hmm. Um, I, I can't help but think there's some some kind of system that we haven't uh, tried out yet or something that's kind of a mix between them all, like a mix between socialism and capitalism. Or, but I do believe that 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 our basic needs should be met, right? Like, didn't Malcolm... I, th- I thought I read some stuff uh, by Malcolm Just Gladwell dash a, a, of a while back. <laughs> a while back. <laughs> like, they did some experiments with, uh, you know, people that were... I don't know if they're like on the street, uh, you know, maybe addicted. They're going in and out of the hospital a lot, and and they gave them some um, housing and and some other stuff. And and the burden was, you know, the cost to the to the taxpayer was way less than the talk cost to society because they actually they stopped, you know, going to the hospital and they kind of had that those basic needs met, you know. So it's uh, yeah. I don't know. Well, it- well, you look at you look at Scandinavia. Scandinavia and and, and uh, um, has the happiest people on the planet. If you, every year, the United Nations does this World Happiness Index, and there's also a social project. And it's always Scandinavia, Norway, Denmark, you know, and coming down the Western Europe, you know, Holland, uh, which are the happiest the happiest people on the planet. And it's because their basic needs are met in their liberal countries. The definition of liberalism is economic security. And equality, and these countries have that. They treat education and healthcare as a basic human right. And when you start at that point, and when you when you meet the basic needs of the people, people are happy, which reduces and people feel secure, which reduces crime, which lessens the appeal of proto-fascist movements um, like you know we have in the here in the U.S. And you eradicate poverty. I mean, it's it's. You know, and conservatives will say, oh, but these countries are so small, they only have 20 million people and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, you know, if, if the pop's 20 million people is a population in California, if, you know, or there's more in California, but you can implement these strategy here. There's, there's no reason why we couldn't have universal health care in this country. Universal health care has worked in other countries. It works in the UK. It works in Australia. Um, 
And See, that's you know, something that seems fucking crazy to me. Like, how do you not have universal health care? Well, it doesn't like, work. You can't uh, go to the fucking doctor. Yeah. There's yeah. a doctor there whose gig it is to fucking help people, but he can't help you because you don't have insurance. Like, how fucking crazy is that yeah. off the path that we should be on? Yeah. No, it, it's sick. I mean, in this country, you basically have an, ins- an insurance assessor between you and the care. I mean, an insurance assessor can determine, ah, oh, no, we, you know, that's outside our policy or he doesn't qualify or that was a pre-existing condition or pre-Obamacare that was or, or, uh, or you know, some loophole that's written to the law that doesn't cover exactly what you've fallen to fall in. And 40,000 Americans died last year because an insurance company deemed that their policyholder was outside their parameters. Wow, I hadn't heard that before. Yeah. Nobody knows I mean, that. No, that's how, you know, that's how immoral capitalistic healthcare is. Huh. How many people, who's still doing that? Who still does that other than the States? Like, yeah, other than the U.S., I can't, I don't, I can't think of any other Western country uh, that has the, uh, the same model. I mean, Japan, just about everywhere in Europe has some sort of nationalistic healthcare program. I mean, I think the U.S. is definitely an outlier amongst OECD countries, that's for sure. Mm. And they're I mean, sweeping up all the best pro- doctors, too, because they can make way more money. Yeah, I, well, actually, you think about every every country in the third world or the developed world is capitalistic healthcare. You know, there's, there's no such thing as universal healthcare in, this, uh, right. in most countries. I lived in Indonesia for 10 years, and uh, if you don't can't pay the doctor, then you're down the street. My mom's got a question for you. What about flat tax? Have you thought about uh, the flat tax? Yeah, well, flat tax is a very regressive tax. It's uh, you know it's the opposite of where you uh, you need to be going. Um, a flat tax is uh, um, sorry. You what know, did you call it originally? It's a very what tax? Regressive. Regressive. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you know uh, people like Republicans like Herman Cain and Ron Paul in the 2012 election cycle proposed flat forms of flat taxes, but what it does, it puts the tax burden increasingly, you know, um, on the middle class and and, uh, and the poor. And uh, you should be, I mean, we should be going the opposite direction. When America built the great middle class, I mean, it was called the great middle class for a reason. Um, America built the greatest middle class the Western world has ever seen from the end of World War II to 1979. Most prosperous middle class. Uh, middle class where, you know, everyone had uh, access to education just about. Um, you only need only need one person in their household working and you had two cars, a mortgage you could afford, and, you know, several weeks annual vacation. Um, the, and but that was when the, the, the top tax rate, the highest income earners in this country were paying 91% of their income uh, to in federal taxes. Now, so High-income high tax rates on the rich didn't affect productivity in this country because productivity rates in that era, in that New Deal era, were just as high as productivity rates are today. Um, but we've gone from a nation where, you know, in, in productivity from 1949 to 1979 went up, I think it was 88%. The average salary of the average worker in that period went up roughly the same, 84 or 80 you know, something in the 80s. 
but from 1980 to 2010, uh, productivity went up the same in the mid-80s to somewhere in the 90s, but the average income of the American worker only went up 4%. So there is no sense of shared prosperity because we're enabling the top to pay less and less uh, towards society. Huh. How do you go back from that? Like, you can't just say, hey, motherfucker, you're paying 91% again. Like, that's not going to go yeah. over. Yeah, and, you know, and you have, you know, Republicans here will say, oh, Americans are against raising taxes. Yeah, we are. No, nobody wants to pay more tax. But the middle class, we shouldn't have to pay more tax and more taxes. And the poor shouldn't have to pay more taxes. Right. But the rich and the minority, how, how can't we get the 99 to get the 1% to pay more. I mean, it should be a no-brainer. <laughs> you know, it's, you know clever, clever uh, scare tactics of, you know, if you raise taxes on the rich, you'll kill jobs. You know, uh, seems, you know, intuitively, you know, correct. It's, uh, it's not even the 1%. I think that, that thing was a whole scam and kind of like took the focus off of the point zero one percent is what I think it should be. Yeah, it is. Exactly. And, it's, and, and that's a very good point because, you know, I think what it, uh, I think $250,000 per year puts you in the top 1%. It might be more than like $400,000 per year puts you in the top 1%. Now, a family of four that's living in New York City on $400,000 a year is how they're going to probably feel like they're rich. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, and that, that's not, you know, that's not the ones we should be going after. I think the other disillusionment that people have about the States, especially coming from Canada, at least is that, that there is still this social mobility. Like you can do, you can, you know, live the American dream, right? It doesn't matter if you grow up in the ghetto or the poor part of town, like you have this ability, but I heard you talk a bit about the, you know, some of the, the truth behind some of the elite schools and all that, and some of the stats, like it's, it's not as easy to, to move around socially as people think. Well, uh, yeah, it's another great fallacy of uh, the American economy or the American way of life is social mobility that, that, you know, pull yourself up by bootstraps. Anybody can make it. If you just work hard enough, your time will come, blah, 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 blah. But it's just not true at all. And in fact, you know, social mobility um, in this country, you know, we almost rank dead last amongst OECD nations. You know, a, a child born in the in the top twenty percent, you know, a child born in a family of the top twenty percent in this country has a two and three chance of of staying at or near the top. 
um, you know, but a child in the bottom 20% has a less than one in 20 shot of making it uh, to the top. So it, there's no mobility there at all. I mean, you're you're basically, you know, born into inherited wealth or you're born into poverty. And if you make your way out of poverty, you might just slip into the, you know, the lower middle class. It's, uh, you know, for, for every, for every um, you know, what's the Facebook founder's name? Zuckerberg. Uh, yeah, Zuckerberg. For every Zuckerberg, there's, you know, there's 10 million Americans that are gone nowhere. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's kind of like, that's kind of like, I forget who we were talking about before. They were, they were talking about how the times of where you needed, you know, to make, everyone needed to kind of pull their weight or through. And, and not saying that, everyone, he wasn't saying that everyone shouldn't pull their weight, but he's like, now one in 10,000 persons tech invention or app or something like that could easily support the tribe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it, this is, uh, I mean, I, you know, we've, you know, and John Steinbeck said in America's, you know, a country of temporarily, temporarily embarrassed millionaires in waiting. And it's so true. And, and I've, you know, I've read some great pieces on, uh, you know, the, the fallacy of the internet or the democratization of the internet. And, uh, it's basically, you know, as the, as, as the U.S. in particular become, you know, moves more into that feudal surf uh, model, the internet has become this place where, you know, we're waiting for our time to shine, you know, you know, and shine, you know, we'll, we'll make that viral video which goes, you know, you know, uh, career and through cyberspace, and we'll get our own TV show, or, or uh, you know, our 15 minutes of fame will translate into millions. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's what these. This, you know, we we think we we're surrounded by these stories of you know you know WhatsApp or I think what what did WhatsApp start sold for fifteen billion dollars or something and has you know a total of twenty five employees. Um, you know, then the top five of those employees took away eighty percent of that you know capital gain. You know, there's there's no social value in it. Look at when Facebook um, you know went to you know went to market. One of the directors who took a big lion's share of the of the um, the IPO, you know, fled to Singapore to uh, to pay a lower tax rate there. So uh, yeah, we 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 it's it's like the Hunger Games, you know. I I I mean, I think it's a great metaphor of where things are headed in this country. You know, you can have the haves and the have-nots, and um, you know, the have-nots are going to wait for their moment to be plucked from obscurity to be anointed with you know tree, trinkets and trillions of dollars. They should just cap that shit like it should just be a billion bucks that's all you get when you go down under a billion then you can make some more till you get to a billion but you ain't getting any more than that <laughs> yeah well in, exactly i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna make 15 billion dollars on an app that took you five years to develop um you know why should why would any rationally minded voter be opposed to that person paying 91 percent tax on the last five billion um, for instance, you know, uh, which, you know, which translates to, let's call that 4 billion and additional tax revenue to the state. And, you know, and as long as the state doesn't spend that on the military, it can go to, you know, improving schools, bridges, hospitals, and roads. Now it's going to get spent on cameras and shit. I was watching the Vice show last night about Camden, yeah. New Jersey. Oh, yeah. That place is a ghetto. And there's no more cops, <laughs> so they just put up cameras in these, like, military-grade gun triangulation shit so as soon as a gun goes off they know where it's from and they, the response time is like three minutes to a gunshot wow that's phenomenal i haven't seen that and that's, that's in new well, jersey that's in new jersey 
I hope the situation isn't affected. <laughs> I mean, Detroit is like, uh, is more or less now. You know, Detroit, you know, it takes like, up to 24 hours for a burglary uh, call out. Oh, really? Yeah. Detroit's yeah, crazy. crazy. Like, I was, I was ripping around on the Google Earth on Detroit. Street View, there's some rough looking yep. spots. I, I can't believe Buddy drove the Google car through there. I'd be like, holy fuck. <laughs> All covered well, in cameras you, too. Yeah, he's been watched anyway. So, if you're if you're a rock star, they're actually Detroit uh, City. Uh, even if you're a blogger, I, I don't know how down how low down the food chain they actually are offering this to. And you know, on the, uh, as far as writers concerned, but if you're a writer, you, you, you if you move to Detroit, they'll give you a free home. I can write okay. <laughs> Well, there you go. You've just got yourself. I wonder if they need any radio guys. In the double car garage. <laughs> I wonder if they need any radio guys, podcast guys. <laughs> yeah, does that count? I just want the old. I don't think, I don't I think radio guys are good looking enough. <laughs> I want the Packard plant. We'll fix that place up a little bit. Hey, it's definitely over the board. Where are you guys in Canada? Where are you? Have, We're, uh, just outside Calgary, Alberta, just uh, east of the Rockies. Uh, okay, it's nowhere. Oh. Pretty much. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I lived in Taipei for about a year in in uh, in '07, and uh, a cop. Uh, well, he was he was actually teaching English in Taipei, but he was returning to Calgary. He was from Calgary. He was there to be a cop, so uh, I believe he's a cop there now. So his name is Jeff King. So if you ever see the name Jeff King on a badge, tell him I said hi. Sure. <laughs> I think there's only four cops in Calgary, I presume. I wonder. Uh, I wonder if I've met him back in my younger <laughs> yeah, days. Pro- yeah, probably. He's probably already had Darren in handcuffs a couple times. <laughs> so what's what's your uh, what's your feeling of uh, fixing this? Like, I I still feel that it's it's not about the political parties or the system. Like, there's got to be huge changes. Like, maybe even collapse first. Like, what would you do to change? Uh, the way things are going, like what would be the top couple things you did to change the political system in the States? Well, number one, you've got to get the money out of policy first and foremost. Um, that has, and, and that can be reform. You know, campaign finance reform is something which, you know, even though the Supreme Court has, you know, um, ruled in favor of Citizens United uh, and then, the, you know, McCutcheon, which basically, you know, uh, took away, you know, uh, donating, uh, took away uh, uh, spending limits. Um, Congress can override all of that with a piece of legislation that um, which takes the money out of the political process and returns to the days of uh, public funding. So you have to do that. That's number one. Number two, um, liberals in this country. I mean, um, there, there's no liberalism in America. Um, you know, conservatives all whine and whine about how liberals this and liberal that, the liberal media, and you know, there is no liberal class. Left in, in the country, certainly not within the, the, the political system. And the Clinton Democrats basically, you know, killed off whatever voice liberals had in the Democratic Party when uh, when they embraced the sanctity of the free market. Uh, I mean, it was Clinton who who you know destroyed the unions, gutted welfare, you know, deregulated Wall Street, and imposed NAFTA, which you know outsourced you know uh, three to four million American or eight hundred thousand um, American jobs. Um, to Central America, so it's um, you know 
when when liberals don't have a voice, and in, 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 as I said earlier, liberalism is all about economic, you know, um, security and, and equality. When liberalisms don't have a voice, and when more importantly, when Democrats, which are supposed to represent the interests of the working class and the middle class, are not scared of liberals, then we're not going. We're not going to get economic liberal economic policies. We're not going to end up with a liberal democracy. Um, a great story I always like to tell is, you know, the last liberal president the U.S. had was Nixon, you know, who was a uh, who was a Republican. Now he didn't govern like a liberal because um, he was moral or had a conscience. He governed like a liberal because he was the last U.S. president to be scared of liberals, <laughs> and uh, so he. You know, he, he brought in the Environmental Protection Agency. He brought in the Occupation, you know, Department of Occupation, Health and Safety. I mean, if any Republican president proposed to put those sort of big government initiatives in the place, they'd be, you know, they'd be horse caught and, and, you know, dragged and quartered. Um, or they'd get the Kennedy it, treatment. Yeah, it's like what the Reagan treatment. It'd be, um, you know, and. Well, what's and the Reagan back, treatment? Oh, he, he got shot as well, but. Uh, but the job was only half done. And Did Reagan <laughs> get shot? Huh. Yeah, he got shot. Yeah, he got actually the guy who took the bullet for him, Brady, uh, passed away yesterday. Oh wow! Crazy. Yeah, so, Cheney shot yeah, someone. Yeah, and Cheney shot his friend in the face. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, it, yeah, there's a great story about that. There's a story with um, uh, you know Kissinger, you know Henry Kissinger and Nixon are standing in the Oval Office. And it was at the height of the Vietnam War protests, and outside the you know the gates of the White House are uh, all you know all the yellow peace buses um, are lined up, and all those peace protests and hippies and so forth, and ready to you know empty out of their buses and spill into into the White House lawns. And Nixon was Kissinger looking out the window at the you know uh, build up. He turns to Kissinger and says, "Holy fuck, they're going to drag us out of here and and, and kill us." Now, I think that's, that's exactly how you want a president of any country to think. You want presidents and leaders to be scared of mass social movements and <laughs> um, to be accountable to that. But, you know, the Democrats aren't scared of liberals, and that's why they act like Republicans. I guess Kissinger didn't have the heart to tell him at that time that the whole anti-war movement was started by the intelligence community anyways. <laughs> <laughs> no, we no. just... We just did a, a show with uh, Dave McGowan. Yeah, but about man, Hell's Kitchen's on tonight, <laughs> and then tomorrow it's Big Bang Theory. I mean, we don't have time to protest anymore. That's right. Nah, nah we got Instagram, we got a selfie of dicks and all that sort of stuff. So do you look at uh, the internet as, as a help to the cause, or do you think it's just another form of sedation? I think it's another form of sedation, for sure. I think it's a great, great, fallacy that the internet is going to liberate us with more knowledge and that sort of thing. We're becoming, you know, dumber and dumber. I think the internet is making us more stupid. I mean, you only have to look at the shit that some of your friends on Facebook post as if it was fact. Um, you know, that's the, the conspiracy theory. When I grew up, um, there was only one or two conspiracy theories. It was Roswell and who shot Kennedy. I don't remember any other conspiracy theories spoken about now. There's, you know, everything from Benghazi to 9-11 to, you know, uh, vaccines to, you know, Obama's a Muslim, Manchurian candidate, you name it, can propel for the internet because people don't read anymore. Um, with the, the, 
the, the printed word has no currency uh, anymore. It's all images. It's all YouTube clips. It's all Instagram. I mean, I don't have an Instagram for the very fact that we're becoming a culture of retards that only, um, you know, respond to images. You know, that's, that's why Instagram is such a success because nobody has to read anything. That's funny. I found uh, whenever I tweet, tweet out the link to an episode, if I like find a cool picture and edit the text over top of that, then I get like 10 times the, res- the, the, the response, I guess. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And you'll notice a lot of uh, stand-up comedians are self-promoting themselves really well doing that same thing. They take a photo of themselves on stage and instead of tweeting a funny line, they, they post it as a quote from themselves onto that image and uh, yeah, it gets retweeted uh, a whole lot more. Huh. That's Shiny. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Piece of and it, 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 the other thing is too, the internet doesn't teach critical thinking anymore. So we don't, so we, you know, we, you know, reading gives you that broad based knowledge to be able to think critically. So what happens now is as we've become more and more partisan politically, we just go to the internet to go to our own tribe and we're hanging our own tribe and we get confirmation bias from our own tribe. Um, we get the, you know, the shitty arguments which in and the lies and the fabrications and the propaganda and then we go back to the other tribe and go, Here, look at this. <laughs> yeah, it goes it, it's not only the political, it's also it's in all kinds of uh areas of our society, right? The polarization now is is, is pervasive throughout. You know, it goes for like the, the the hardcore skeptical movement and the and the believer conspiracy movement and the, the political movements and religious all, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, you find your tribe in the U.S., you, uh, you stick to them. Hmm. Hopefully your tribe's Grimerica. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is now. So, so what you, we were talking about how to, f- how to fix the, uh, the state's uh, political system and the economy. What about, what about, uh, issuing greenbacks and like actual money and not this federal reserve crap that, uh, I mean, that's another conspiracy if you want to go there too, but, uh, what do you think about that? Well, yeah, I mean, the U.S. has a big problem going forward. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm humble. There's no problem in an economy that is as large as the U.S., which has a central bank in printing its own money, because the U.S. economy is big enough to be able to absorb, absorb that, as long as it's not running up continual, you know, uh, massive deficits every year. Now, the problem the U.S. has is the economy is big enough to sustain printing its own money. Um, but they are running up massive deficits, and they're they're able to run up massive deficits because, you know, the oil-rich Gulf states and countries like China are buying that debt. Now, when China and these Middle Eastern Gulf states eventually, which they will inevitably at some stage in the future, whether that's the short-term future or in the distant future, but at some point they will inevitably stop buying U.S. debt. Now, when they do, then the Federal Reserve becomes the buyer of last resort. Now, if the Fed becomes the buyer of last resort, it means interest rates will go up, which means the cost of printing that money goes up, which means you have hyperinflation and you're, you know, you're talking about driving, you know, walking a wheelbarrow around to buy a, you know, a loaf of bread, which is, was the situation in Weimar, Germany, and, you know, before the rise of the Nazis there. So, um, you know, once America is going to you know, hell to pay down the road if it can't correct its cost. It's not too late for America to order its cost because the economy is so big. They could easily correct that cost by running up surpluses like you had, you know, 
Now, Clinton raised taxes on the wealthiest four times, or three times, and, you know, and, and returned, you know, budget surpluses year after year. Um, you know, and, and if you can return budget surpluses, then, you know, the, the cost of printing money is, uh, is negligible. Hmm. And we haven't even touched on the religion part of it yet. So how about, um, how does that play into your, into your book, The Religious Right? Well, the problem with, you know, the, the death of liberalism in this country means also the death of secularism. I mean, you know, liberalism was never meant to be a left-wing um, political philosophy. You know, liberalism was meant only to be a countervailing power to capital. Um, and, you know, liberalism is basically meant to pick up, you know, pick up, you know, uh, the pieces of where, you know, of what the glorious capital machine leaves behind. Um, you know, the downtrodden and uh, and so forth. And where you know, corporations have no interest in the common good, capital has no interest in the common good. Capital and corporations only have an interest in profit. You know, corporations lie, impoverish, steal, bribe, you know, uh, corrupt, all in the name of securing that profit, pollute the environment. Um, now, in in the U.S., because liberalism has died, and we haven't looked after the working class, and we haven't looked after the poor. We haven't created jobs. We haven't increased spending in infrastructure. We haven't protected the manufacturing base. Because there's no outlet, because liberalism has failed um, the working class and the poor in this country, it means proto-fascist, Christian fascist movements are on the rise. And the rise of Christian fascism in this country is terrifying. I mean, the, the similarities between Weimar Germany you know, uh, and today are... I mean, are very relevant. And, and Noam Chomsky, who's arguably this country's you know, greatest ever intellectual, has written about that extensively and has drawn the parallels um, between uh, here and Germany of the early 30s. So that's why, you know, these guys like Ted Cruz and, you know, um, and, you know whether Rick Santorum or whatever, you know, Rick Perry, Michelle Bachman, Sarah Palin have huge plays because, you know, when you take economic issues off the table and when the Democrats don't govern as liberals and when they govern like Republicans, well, when both parties uh, are the same you know, on the economic issues, all that's left is the cultural issues. issues. All you're left is, is God, guns, and gays. Um, <laughs> and, and that's where America's heading. We're heading to a situation where the working class are going to, you know, America is going to be faced with you know, foreclosures, high unemployment rates, you know, debts. Um, you know, no future, no prospects, and therefore these proto-fascist movements are going to draw more and more appeal from this disenfranchised, you know, uh, white middle class. Kind of like you're seeing happening in places like Greece already. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly, exactly. And some some of those countries, you know, these far right movements are gaining, gaining a lot of traction because, you know, nationalistic, you know, tunes, you know, get a lot of play when people are downtrodden. Everyone's looking to blame someone, but no, it's easy for people to punch down rather than to punch up. So when times are tough, you blame gays, immigrants, liberals, feminists, unions, pensions, cops, firefighters. You know, it's easy to blame them, Mexicans, rather than punch up because people don't understand. Hard to punch up because then you have to understand all the nuances of the corporate world and the political you know, structures and all that sort of thing. And uh, it's easy to blame uh, you know, Mexican for stealing a job rather than, um, you know, uh, globalization, which outsourced your job to India. Huh. 
<clears throat> you're starting to hear more and more about that, though. Do you think that do you, are we getting any wind in our sails? Well, you're not going to hear more and more about it in the mainstream media because the mainstream media is owned by corporations, um, you know, and, and, and corporations are only interested in the pursuit of profit rather than the pursuit of truth. Um, now, there, you know, it's there, the Occupy movement was the first time for many Americans that they became cognizant or aware of the fact that, you know, that is a vast income inequality in this country. That brought, you know, phrases like the 99%, you know, into, you know, common vernacular. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that, that people will become aware of, of, you know, the corporate totalitarian state and how it's, it's redistributing wealth to, you know, funneling all income gains to the top 1%. Um, and the social movement take time. It took 10 years for the civil rights movement um, before any piece of legislation was written. Um, Occupy was, what, only four years ago. Um, you know, now I know you don't hear much from that at the moment, but it'll, it'll manifest itself again and it'll emerge in a different way or a more you know, sophisticated way at some stage, I'm hopeful of. Speaking of movements, have you ever followed or heard of like the Zeitgeist movement or Ubuntu con- contributionism or the Venus Project, kind of that resource-based economy? Uh, theory that you know get rid of the money and just base your economy on resources. Yeah, I, and I'm aware of that. I'm thinking. I think that Germany or France are doing a massive government-funded project on that and creating, trying to create a utopian society. Really? I'm, not, I'm not sure. How many, yeah, I'm not sure how many people are involved in that project or what the sample size is or what you know. Uh, but yeah, that they 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 want to see if they can how far they can run this show that, you know, a resource-based economy, they're looking for alternatives to a money-based, you know, uh, economy. So, yeah, there, there, are, there are some Western governments who are actually investing. Um, you'll have to Google that one because I'm a bit hazy on the details, but I have heard of that. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to check that out. It's uh, That's good. I'm glad somebody's trying trying it out anyways. Without, without yeah, government's influence, it's going to take some bloody rich guy to, to do it. Elon Musk, man. <laughs> yeah. Elon Musk, yeah. He's the new Jeebus. Who's that? Elon Musk. Oh, Elon Musk, yeah, yeah. yeah Tesla. Is he a yeah, good he's guy? A new um, I mean, he's a smart guy, the brilliant guy. You know, I'm, I'm always, I mean, his motive is profit. Um, you know, I, Tesla, I'm, I'm, uh, my cousin actually has a Tesla. Um, and I'm, I don't like Tesla drivers. Put it that way. No, they're a special because, breed. They're like the, they're like a they're like an even even more specialized cut out of your Prius driver. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least your Prius driver. I would like about the Prius. The Prius driver is somebody who's typically thinking about the environment. You know, uh, has an environmental conscience. Um, but the Tesla driver is basically all Republicans who because they're high performance, speak, you know, sports car. They don't give two fucks about about uh, the environment. You know, it's a, if, if the Tesla only drove like a Prius, you know, none of these guys would be driving the Tesla. The fact that Tesla drives like a Ferrari, um, you know, that's the deal. Yeah, they must be quick. No, like, doesn't have to go through the gears, just boom. It's, it's amazing. It's, you know, you sit in the front seat of that car and you, it's like being on a roller, roller coaster. Um, the G-Force is like nothing I've ever experienced in a car. I've been in a Ferrari before I haven't driven it, but I've been a passenger and 
they're you know, incomparable. Right? The Tesla is, you know, that that takeoff is just amazing. It's like you know, going, you know, being a magic mountain and and uh, taking it, you know, off extraordinarily quickly on a on a roller coaster. And they'll just plug in your coordinates to the Google and zoop, 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 zoop. <laughs> just be, they better put barf bags in those things. They've already started here in Calgary. You can get those little cars downtown. Like you just walk, you get this swipe card or whatever, and you can just, they got these little smart cars parked. Oh, all they're over all the over place. the place by my place. They're all over. Yeah. People are, Yeah, it's interesting. The technology that's uh, helping people with their transportation. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, Technologies, you know, are um, great. I mean, anything to get cars off the road and, and get us off fossil fuels as fuels as well is anything that you know go along the way is uh, is good. But I, you know, well, I'm always skeptical, you know, on that because liberals, are, you know, and what I say when I use the term liberal, you know, people who call themselves liberals in this country are very quick to embrace cool corporations because they have a cool you know, look, and I think that's, you know, the whole Silicon Valley thing was embraced by liberals. These are not good companies. But they're not good. There's no moral conscience there. They're just trying to derive as much profit as they can. And, uh, you know, liberals, you know, liberals, true liberals need to always be wary of, uh, you know, the, of the, the corporate profit motive. Don't you think it might change, though, with ostracism? And, like, you know, like if, if we start, Ostriches? you know, ostracizing these these corporations, I mean, inevitably it'll probably just switch to people will be pressured into doing better for humanity, don't you think? Well, yeah, I, I, there's been no, no, no evidence that, that that would be the case in mankind's experience today. I mean, you know, the, the reason we're not combating, um, you know, we're not having a serious, you know, we're facing an existential threat, I mean, you know, from climate change. I mean, there's, uh, you know, it's not a forecast anymore, it's an outcast, it's happening now, where you know, you know, climate scientists have said once once it gets beyond 350, was it 350 milligrams per or 300 mils? I'm, I'm not a scientist. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, yeah, I think I'm more or something. micrograms, whatever it's per milliparts that you know, uh, that you know, life becomes um, harder to sustain and will be at above 350 in the next few years. And if we keep going, the current trajectory will be above. One thousand in twenty years. That just means important. more plants, though. That's good for the trees. <laughs> Golf course will be nice and green. It'd <laughs> be, be warmer in New Jersey. But, uh, exactly. Canada will be nice and warm. Yeah, you guys are things are looking up. So, yeah, we're not doing anything about it because you know the you know people are um, confused and you know confused on the science because. These you know corporate funded think tanks have brought up you know very clever sounding white papers and so called quasi pseudo experts to uh, you know muddy the debate. Wow, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. If we should go into that one or not. I'm confused about the climate change thing. I mean, we've had a couple of people on that have you know when you look at the long term trends of of the Earth um, and what it's gone through, you know. Uh, some people say we're going through global cooling right now. So no, 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 no. You you need not, do not listen to anyone who says there's no climate change, and no one listen to no one who says it's not a existential threat. It is. There, the, the the science is unequivocal. We're going to ninety nine point ninety seven percent, whatever it is, of climate scientists agree. NASA, Pentagon, even which is hardly can be confused for a uh, you know a polar bear cuddling entity. That says it's the greatest threat to the U.S. national security. 
you know, the jury is out. It's done. You know, don't even entertain in anything that says that this is conspiracy or it's not a threat. It is. It's real and it's happening. I mean, no, the, the canary in the coal mine is the, the no, canary in the coal mine was the ice caps. You know, the, and that's they're melting. I mean, there's no more. You know, but it's whether it's caused by by us or not, right? I mean, the climate is changing and it's always changing. So that's that should be the the debate, right? Yeah, but I mean, you know, the, the trend lines marrying the, the trend lines marry. Uh, you know the, the the same growth in you know the you know, carbon emissions plunge into the atmosphere. You know that you know same same thing when you look at it. You know the decline of middle class income matches the decline of you know on a chart matches exactly the decline of labour or you know, collective bargaining uh, coverage in this country. I mean these things you know uh, you know marry for a reason. And yeah. pretty compelling and overwhelming. Yeah, but it's pretty tough when you get those uh, those people in that English uh, those emails that were caught. What was that climate gate thing? And they're they were basically proving that they're fudging the numbers, fucking around with the numbers. Like there's some fuckery in there. So I don't know. Once they I figured out there's money to be made. Where 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 money? And that's you know where the money is to be made is the corporations to benefit by having no regulatory control on their emissions and that sort of stuff. That's that's where the money. So you know that's where the motive is. But the IP, what is it? The IP Triple C, which is the UN government intergovernmental agency body. Yeah. I mean that's yeah. that you know it's taken what is it fifteen thousand client scientists from all around the world and you know they've come to conclusive. I mean there's there's no more debate. I you know I'm. It's done. It's settled. We know we're, we're caused, man is causing it. The planet is getting warmer. We now need to do something about it. That's, yeah. Huh. That's Alberto will be beachfront. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buy a beachfront in Arizona. Arizona's too hot. We're like the Arizona <laughs> of the north. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it gets nicer. It's 28 degrees today. That was beautiful. Yeah, imagine what it is in Arizona. It's probably like fucking 50. Yeah. That's funny. The great cut I haven't heard. I haven't heard anyone use softness in a long time. It's refreshing to hear again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we use we use both. We're 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 probably worse than any other country as far as having to use both systems daily. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, yeah. Constantly using uh, both. Well, so what is what is the the news? If the daily news, the evening news, are they going to give it in Fahrenheit? No, no. Yeah, no. they'll have both. They'll have both on the little like thing in the corner it usually flashes back and forth to both but we'll, we'll talk certain things like we'll talk uh you know in temperature it'll be celsius but then in in height it'll be feet and in distance it'll be kilometers and in weight it'll be pounds like it just goes back and forth depending on what makes the most sense or something i thought, I thought you guys hate america sufficiently enough to uh, protect the good old metric system <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but we got to protect. Uh, you got to protect the the old system too. Yeah, the last guys like the last guys holding it together. It would just be lost to time. Yeah, well, you know, Australia. I mean, uh, you know, we don't have any imperial measurement. No one. I'm uh, converting. I've been here for just you know just for two years now, and, and uh, for the first. Maybe a year, I was still doing their mental conversion into Celsius, but now I can, I can think in uh, in Fahrenheit, but I can't do the calculations in you know, in ounces. We don't know what the fuck's an ounce. We have no idea <laughs> or what or how that's related to a pound. Yeah, oh, pounds easy because that's roughly two point two in a kilogram, but 
And, uh, yeah, ounces. And uh, what's the other one? Grams. Grams. Grams, thousands. Yeah, you got to think of drugs. There's 28 grams in an yeah, ounce. Yeah. Isn't it right? Uh, you sound like a drug dealer now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, not a drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, so I do have to ask you because you're, you're, you know, even on your website there, you call. You know, I heard you talk about not being, you're not sort of a fundamentalist atheist, but you are, you know, one of the new atheist kind of things. So would, would you be open to evidence of, of consciousness uh, leaving the body? Like not, and then when I'm talking religious type stuff here, but more on the spiritual side of things, like there's a, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things that, a lot of evidence that's not accepted by the <clears throat> skeptical community, you know, kind of that shows that there's uh there's a consciousness that survives outside the body. Like we're not just sort of meat and potatoes. What do you think of that? Sounds like bullshit to me. Look, I'm open to anything which has irrefutable evidence. Um, you know, if uh, like, look, I'm I'm not a great philosopher when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, you know, higher consciousness and. You know, I would say that, you know, it, quantum, quantum physics or anything, black holes, wormholes. Um, <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I watch, I watch um, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Was it Neil deGrasse Tyson? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, and I watch his show and I, and I, I watch it with my kids and my 13-year-old son and, you know, 13-year-old daughter. I never explained what was just said the last five minutes. So <laughs> I'm, I'm semi-retarded. I'm not kidding when it comes to anything mathematical or science-based. So, I don't really give a lot of thought to stuff like that. If, if, if you came along and showed me, you know, irrefutable evidence that there's, um, you know, consciousness can leave a body, I'd be, yeah, okay, well, that's irrefutable evidence. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't pay much attention to stuff that's outside the fact. Sometimes the physical mushrooms will help you see God. <laughs> <laughs> a, heroic, yeah. a heroic dose? The last time I had mushrooms, I uh, was in Bali. It was, it was probably about seven years ago. I was staying at a hard rock hotel with a bunch of friends, and we had to work keeping the beers cool in one of the rooms and in the pool for the room to get beers. And it was my turn to go, and it was this winding staircase to get in the rooms. And I honestly thought I was in on the set or in the film. I was in, in Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> on a big adventure? Uh, uh, I was convinced that there was this big, you know, uh, rock, rolling rock coming towards me, and I had to dive into a bedroom to escape it. <laughs> good times. Sounds like fun. Good, good uh, yeah, no, terrifying times. <laughs> it was horrible. So, uh, do, do you want to mention anything else about your book before we start uh, wrapping things up here? Yeah, bye. Or what's your next, is your next book, uh, Guns, uh, Guns, Gods, and Gays? Is that the title <laughs> yeah. for your next book? Than a triple G, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, but, yeah, my 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 most recent book is uh, Atheists Can't Be Republicans If Facts and Evidence Matter. Um, <laughs> the whole thrust of the, the the argument is, if you know, um, you're an you're an atheist because you know you don't you see no evidence for the existence of a god or a deity. Um, if you apply that same litmus test to your political debate, uh, beliefs, then. There's certainly no evidence for, you know, a conserv U.S. conservative ideology. You know, everything right. the Republican Party uh, espouses has been proven an abject failure or they've been proven wrong on, whether that's 
you know, they said the stimulus wouldn't work. They said the stimulus wouldn't cause inflation. It didn't. They said books tax tax cuts would create jobs. Uh, didn't we had the worst job growth? Not in not even taking the 2007-08 crash into consideration. We had the worst job growth since World War II. Um, on climate change, on separation of church and state, on what governance means, you name it. You know, the, the Republican Party have been uh, proven wrong in it, and therefore, you know, um, if there's no evidence for their belief, then they, you know, an atheist really can't subscribe to that ideology. Now, it's not a. I don't. I'm, I don't endorse the Democratic Party by any means. As a, right. you know, you've made sort of clear earlier that the Clinton Democrats, in particular, have uh, sold out liberal ideals, and and you know, a Clinton nomination is not really going to help things. You know, the party needs to be pulled to the left in the same way Republicans have pulled their party to the right. Um, right and that right. would, you know, and, you know, hence the Elizabeth Warren, you know, board of Bernie Sanders wing of the party would need to come to the fore. Huh. All right. So we're going to link to all those books and stuff in the show notes. Is there anything else you want to uh, mention to the listeners? Uh, yeah, I, I guess so. they can if they want more information. They can find me at cjwellerman.com or, uh, they can follow me on Twitter um, at CJ Wellerman, and you know all my books are available. All, all the books and details are on the website, or they can uh, go to Amazon, which is pretty easy. Amazon, yeah. And if you're going to go to Amazon, <laughs> go through the uh, Grimerica portal <laughs> so we can get some uh, some of that corporate blood money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, thanks a lot yep. for showing us uh, so, showing us the other side and some statistics that people don't uh, don't hear about in the mainstream. You know, it's good to I don't know, man. It's it's a it's a complex subject, but I like to try yeah. and open people's minds up about the fucking what's going on with this corporate capitalism bullshit. Yeah, the Walmart, Walmart thing one's blows fucking me away. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, I, I don't tend to have all the answers, but and, and you guys don't either, by the and that's good. I think that, you know, whatever we're doing at the moment's not working and we need to think of a better way. Yeah, man, it's great just talking about it and trying to open up our minds a little bit more. So, yeah. Thanks. I wonder if what it oh. takes for a hard reset, probably an asteroid. <laughs> <laughs> and Bruce, Bruce Willis will knock it out of space, though. <laughs> <laughs> all right, CJ. Well, thanks a lot yep. for uh, coming on the show. And uh, yeah, good luck uh, with uh, all your future endeavors. Yeah, cool, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. It's been, hey. it's been a great time. You're welcome. Cheers. We'll send you a show. We'll send you the link. Welcome back to the Great America Show again. That was uh, CJ Warleman. Yeah, good, uh, fun one. A little off kilter, but uh, fun times nonetheless. A little heated. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It was just that one little area. Little, cuff, with little global, kerfuffle. Global warming and stuff. Global warming. Yeah, yeah. That was. I decided to bite my tongue. I didn't want to tie up the show arguing about global warming. See, there was no changing his mind, so and I mean, hey, maybe he's no, right. No, yeah, maybe he is. I mean, we're not trying to change anybody's mind here, really. Yeah, I, I would like to know though what a guy like that thinks of uh, if he listened to any or all three of our interviews with Robert Schock, Don Easterbrook, and Randall Carlson. Right, talking about that. These are geologists, scientists, 
who obviously have a different take on what's going on, right? So yep. I, I, I wonder what you think. Drop in the bucket, baby. But other than that, I mean, that was some good, good stuff, <laughs> like stuff we don't really go down here. Uh, kind of some scary numbers when you talk about some of that income inequality. Yeah, and the Walmart stats and the Koch brothers and all that. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, being able to pave your own way and make your own money and choose your own destiny. But I mean, when you're making them as much as half as America, when you and your brother make as much as half of the country, that's a little excessive. The bottom half. The bottom half, yeah. <clears throat> Still pretty excessive. That's 175 fucking million people. Yeah. Yeah. If they each only have a dollar, they have $175 million. If they each make a dollar a year, they make $175 million a year. Yeah, that's crazy to look at it that way. Don't look at it that way. Don't think about it like that. No, I can't. Fucking go to Walmart, get your chocolate bar, bag of chips, some Trinkets. These motherfuckers are barely getting by. No, I think it's the social mobility thing too that people don't realize. The people think, oh, you know, anybody can just just make uh, make their life whatever they want uh, in this capitalist society, right? But it's not that easy. I I really think that it's uh, it's harder than people think. Not for not for everybody, obviously, but you know. Yeah, there's a yin's and the yans. I'm getting a deja vu. Deja blue. Yeah. Oh, that's because we already recorded this. Yeah. Oh, and somebody Fuck doesn't you. learn from their mistakes. Fuck you too. <laughs> no. <laughs> so the so Walmart, you shop there. I do. And you try not to. And I try not to. But you do. Because? Because it's cheap. This is cheap. And nearby. And nearby. Saves you a bunch of running around. Saves me a bunch of running Fuck, around. Fuck it's tough, eh? Yeah, it's tough. So do you realize that for every employee you see in there that they've displaced one point four? Yeah, but that's mostly in the States. <laughs> well, that's not funny. Canadians <clears throat> displacing Americans. And most of them aren't, are, uh, never mind. Didn't you want people to write in about their Walmart stories? Oh, yeah, yeah, funny Walmart stories. Yeah, you see some characters in Walmart. But yeah, send in your funny but it's, it's kind of one of those things, eh? It's hard, like you were saying earlier on the first time we recorded this. It's um, hard to boycott. Yeah, it's hard to boycott, eh? You know, you try, but it's like you were saying, any, like, they just make it the uh, like the only place that you can really afford to buy a lot of stuff, right? Yeah, and then half the other places are going to be, like, in opposite corners of town now because they're so few and fucking far between. Right. Yeah, that sucks. What are you going to do? Gods, guns, and gays. Yeah, send in your funny Walmart encounters, stories. Something funny about Walmart to lighten the mood a little bit. Yeah, I liked uh, what CJ was talking about, though, with uh, the rest of the p- political stuff, you know, with socialism for the the rich and capitalism for the poor. And it's it's crazy how this is allowed to go on for so long. Yeah, well, maybe it'll end in our lifetime, but I don't think so. Yeah, well. We're kids. We'll live a long time. Think so? We live a long time. We live a long time. <laughs> all right guys check out the show notes for all the links to cj stuff everything we talked about in the show uh, as well as all the music you heard you guys know the drill uh review the show wherever you can leave us a review we got a few new ones so thanks for those i don't have them in front of me but maybe we can uh mention them next week uh thanks to our new subscriber 
And uh, yeah, spam the shit out of ground. Yeah, and please <clears throat> donate to the cause, the Grand America cause, <laughs> the money bomb. Spam to the ram. And uh, please spell it like Darren doesn't say it. So it's G R A H A M. Graham. Graham. Gramamerica.com. Graham.